Open your Bibles to Joel chapter 2 and stand with me in honor of God's word. Joel 2. Verse 1, it says, Sound the trumpet in Jerusalem. Raise the alarm on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. Father in heaven, if the day of the Lord was upon them then, how much more? Now some one to 2,000 years later is the day of the Lord upon us. Jesus, you are returning. You are returning for your bride. And Father, the alarm is still going out. Father, I ask that you would awaken the sleepy saints from their slumber. Father, I ask that you would bring a now word for the body today that we wouldn't read over these verses and agree how amazing and how powerful the army of the Lord is, but we would realize that the army of the Lord is soon coming with our soon coming king. Father God, I ask that you would have your way in this room with each and every heart and life. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you're in agreement, say amen, amen. You can be seated. Notice it says sound the trumpet in Jerusalem. Most versions don't say Jerusalem. They say Zion. And typically this alarm or this call would go out from the walls. So guards or watchmen would blow the shofar, the ram's horn. I was going to do that for you this morning. But when I don't nail it, it sounds kind of like a wounded animal. And I thought that it would really kill the message. And so I didn't want to do that. And I didn't want to bring somebody up here who could do it. And so suffice that to say that when they would blow the shofar or the ram's horn, it would signify one of two things. It would be a call to worship or it would be an alarm. It would be an alarm. And Elsie Allen said the blast of the ram's horn from the tower was the modern day equivalent of an air raid siren. Of an air raid siren. That is the equivalent of the ram's horn being blown. And the fact that this call here in Joel is going out from Zion is significant. It's significant. Typically, the alarm signified a human army coming. The call going out from Zion, God's holy hill, signifies Jehovah's army is coming. Jehovah's army is coming. So with this as our backdrop, I want to pick it up now in verse 2. It says, It is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep blackness. Suddenly, like a dawn spreading across the mountains, a great and mighty army appears. Nothing like it has been seen before or will ever be seen again. Fire burns in front of them and flames follow them. Ahead of them, the land lies as beautiful as the Garden of Eden. Behind them is nothing but desolation. Not one thing escapes. They look like horses. They charge forward like war horses. Look at them as they leap along the mountaintops. Listen to the noise they make like the rumbling of chariots, like the roar of fire sweeping across the field of stubble, or like a mighty army moving into battle. Fear grips all the people. Every face grows pale with terror. The attackers march like soldiers and scale city walls like soldiers. Marching forward or straight forward, they march, never breaking rank. They never jostle each other. Each moves in exactly the right position. They break through defenses without missing a step. They swarm over the city 
and run along its walls. They enter all the houses, climbing like thieves through the windows. The earth quakes as they advance and the heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars no longer shine. The Lord is at the head of the column. He leads them with a shout. This is his mighty army, and they follow his orders. The day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive? That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he'll give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you'll be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Gather all the people, the elders, the children, and even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Let the priest who minister in the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. Let them pray, spare your people, O Lord. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. Don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, as the God of Israel left them. Powerful, isn't it? How powerful is the army of the Lord? I love verse 11 in this. The Lord is at the head of the column. He leads them with a shout. This is his mighty army, and they follow his orders. The day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive? Yet I believe verses 12 through 14 are for us today, and so I want to read them again, and I don't think you can read them enough. It says, that is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts, come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he'll give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps he or you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Notice that the first call went out to warn that the army of the Lord was coming. This call is totally different. This call is a call to repentance based on the fact that the Lord is coming. And we're going to look at four statements that are made in these verses. But first of all, I just want to say this. I believe that pastors everywhere should still be calling people to repentance, should still be calling them to repent. And I want to state this about repentance. Repentance is not something you say with your mouth. It is something you do with your entire being. Repentance means you're heading in one direction and you turn and you head in the other direction. And churches everywhere should still be calling people to repent. They should still be calling people to return to the Lord because We are the ones that need to change. God does not need to change. God is the one that changes us, and he is calling us again and again and again to return to him, to to come back to him, wherever we've been, to come back to him. And we're going to look at these four phrases, and we're going to see that the call is still going out today. So let's look at the first phrase. It says, turn to me now while there is time. So that must mean that there'll be a time when you cannot turn to God. 
Because the call is, turn to me now while there is still time. And if you were to acknowledge that God has been dealing with you, and if you were to acknowledge that you know you need him, and if you were to ask me when you should come to the Lord, my answer is always gonna be the same. Now, now, now. I'll hear so many people say, well, Pastor, I just, I need to get some things together. I need to, you know, I need to, I need to, you know, kind of clean my act up. And then, Pastor, I'll, I'll come back to church. Now. Now. God speaks now. God never told anybody, hey, tune in this time about, same time about next week, and I'll talk to you then. Um, hey, in about a month from now, I'm going to want you to return back to me. In about a month from now, I'm going to want you to come back. Hey, 2020, that will be the year that you turn back to me. Said God never to no one. It's always now. Because we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, words are how we live. I'm so grateful for the things that you've experienced and in your church upbringing, those of you that were raised in the church, so grateful for the revivals that you once knew, so grateful for all the amazing things that God did, but that is not how you live based on what was done in the past. You live according to the words that are spoken now. Let me show you this in Hebrews chapter three. Hebrews three. Oh, I'm all jacked up, and it's not even coffee, I'm telling you. Hebrews three. Hebrews three. Look at verse 12. Notice the language here. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Anything turning you away from the living God is evil. And if you are choosing to turn away from the living God, that is evil and unbelieving, Scripture's definition. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, and I think that's powerful, trusting just as when you first believed, just as when you first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Today when you hear his voice, while it is still called today, So how do we encourage those that have been away from the Lord? How do we encourage them? Today, today, today is the day of salvation. You're not gonna find it anywhere in scripture that says tomorrow is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. And so while it is still called today, turn to him. Turn to him while there is still time. While there is still time. Second phrase, Give me your hearts, come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. What do fasting, weeping, and mourning have to do with giving God your hearts? Well, it shows brokenness. It shows humility. And I just want to say this about repentance. Repentance is, is, is not a verbal, verbal thing. And I want to show you this in Scripture. Go to Matthew chapter 3 with me. And I want you to see what biblical repentance is really all about. Because I think we just throw that word out there. We've been saying it in church for years. And there are, there are you know, even people that have signs in their front yard, repent. And I don't even think people know what repenting is. 
Okay, I'm not going to mess with the whole yard signs thing, but I struggle with them. I ain't kidding you, I struggle with them. Oh, my gosh. If I am ever in the Sentinel Standard, um, you know, where people and all their crimes are, are listed, if I'm, it's probably going to be vandalized, vandalizing somebody's sign on their front lawn. And um, I, just, I, I, I just struggle with them. I, I, we're the sign. We're the sign. And just because you can put it out there, and I don't know why you'd pay for it, just because you can put it out there don't mean you're living it. A religious spirit tells you how to live. A spirit that has a relationship with a living God will show you. And I just struggle with the sign. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Lord, help me. Verse 8, Matthew 3, 8. Prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Repentance is not just verbal, it is accompanied by action. By action. By action. If we think that we can just verbally repent and then not do anything, then we have not proven that we've truly repented. Prove by your actions. Prove by the way that you live that you've really repented. We should be bearing fruits worthy of repentance. Everything about your walk with God from salvation on is verbal coupled with action because we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth. So everything that we do should be coupled with action. So from, from believing God for healing to believing God that will bless, that God will bless you, it is accompanied by action. So how can you expect God to, to, to bless your finances if you're not even honoring him with tithes and offerings? It's crazy. It's like expecting to go to the bank and withdraw from an account that you don't even have, you've never deposited in. James said, faith without works is dead. So if you are gonna be praying, then let your actions accompany what you have been believing and praying for. Listen, this isn't rocket science. This is practical, basic Christianity. Faith without works is dead, so faith with works is alive. And so when we are praying one way, then what actions are you taking to show that you have been praying that way? Pastor John, I've been praying and I'm praying. Where is God? God is gonna meet you at your first step. That's where he is. God is gonna meet you in your first step of faith. That's where he is. He will meet you there. Anybody can pray from the comfort of an easy chair. The guts and the courage of your faith is stepping out. What are you believing God for? Have you stepped out? God's waiting for you to move. God's waiting for you to move. Like Switchfoot song, I dare you to move. I dare you to move. Even when it comes to giving, God says, test me now, try me now in this. See if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing. Everything about your Christian walk is prayer coupled with action. And these signs will accompany them that believe, Mark 16. Let me know when this gets too hard and too difficult for you. There are a lot of saints that are occupying pews and seats faithfully that have never taken a single step of faith. Their faith never became action. Their faith has never become visible. And that is the nuts and bolts of real Christian living. You are not just praying, you are doing. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. Every time you see the will of God in the New Testament, it is an action. Do, you're doing God's will, you're proving God's will. 
We need to act on what steps of faith are you taking? Man, I'm grateful that you're coming to church. Get involved. Get involved. Put your faith into action. Well, Pastor, we, we did get involved, but as soon as we got involved, it seemed like everything hit the fan. Hello! That should be your first clue that it was the right step. Church, come on. That's why you have a memory not to remember all the bad things, but to remember all the good things that God has done. And just like he brought you through back there and there and there before service, I encouraged the, the worship team and those that met for prayer. I said, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, they would build altars every time that there was this marked moment with God, these milestone moments with God, they would build an altar. And I said, you know what we're doing today? We're gonna build an altar for people to come and have a moment with God like they've never known before. And you should be going back to those times in your memory because if you'll think and if you'll remember, you'll be able to say, you know, when I was going through that, that seemed insurmountable too. You know, when I was going through that, that mountain seemed huge too. Yet God brought me through that. And the same God that brought me through that will bring me through this. And so on, and so on, and so on. And you keep praying, and you keep believing, and you keep stepping out. You keep moving forward. You don't look back. You keep going. Keep going. Most beautiful tears are the tears of the repentant. And you know why you're weeping when you're repentant is because God met you there. That's why whenever we give people an opportunity to respond to God, we want them to do something. We want them to raise a hand, to stand up, to, to come forward. We, we want there to be a response. We want there to be a response to God speaking to your heart, you responding to him, and you marking that response with some kind of an action. Don't tear your clothing in your grief. Tear your hearts instead, the third phrase. In Jewish culture, they tore their clothes in extreme grief. Uh, it, it would signal a death to, you know, to, to, to you or to something or, or someone. Let me explain. And I, this is the best example that I can think of. Um, years ago, I remember as a kid, I watched a movie called uh, The Jazz Singer. Um, I think there may have been a more modern or more recent version that, uh, that's gone out, but the one that I saw was with Neil Diamond and Laurence Olivier, and Neil Diamond was a Jewish kid um, that was raised who had this beautiful voice, and he would sing in the synagogue, but um, unbeknownst to his family, he was pursuing a, a career as a jazz singer, and when it came out that he was gonna pursue that career as a jazz singer, his father, and I'm almost positive it was Lawrence Olivier, he, he came to him and confronted his son, and when his son, Neil Diamond, tried to explain that this is what I really feel called to do, Lawrence Olivier tore his clothes and said, I have no son. To the, to the, to the Jew in biblical times, a tearing of the clothing was extreme grief. You ever, um, uh, uh, what's the, the show Shark Tank with uh, Mr. Wonderful? You're dead to me. 
Your dad, he always says that, sweetheart of a guy. You know, you're, you're, you're dead to me. It's kind of the equivalent of what the tearing of the clothes will be. You know, like, I, I'm dead to this, you're dead to me, I, I have no son, I have no daughter, or whatever, whatever. It was extreme, extreme grief. Here, here, the call that's going out says, don't tear your clothing in your grief. Tear your hearts. Tear your hearts. You are in such grief over God exposing how sinful you've been that you are, you are rending your hearts, you're tearing your hearts instead of your, your clothing. We're talking about an extreme grief that goes beyond any outward thing that you could do here. You are, less, you are just coming to God and you are bawling because you realize how sinful you've been. You are, you are, you're rending your hearts before God. You're tearing your hearts before God. When is the last time you wept in the presence of God? Because God desires for us to tear our hearts in genuine repentance with broken and contrite hearts. We turn to God so grateful that we weep that he would save a wretch like us. So grateful. When is the last time you thought about what your life was like before you came to know Jesus? When is the last time you took a look and around and you realized everything that God has done for you and you just wept because of how good God has been? When's the last time? When's the last time? And then lastly, it says, return to the Lord your God for he is merciful and compassionate. If there's anything that you need to know, you need to know that no matter how long you've been away, you can always return. Always return. Always return. I'll have people say to me, well, Pastor John, the Bible speaks about an unpardonable sin, and I'll tell them, if you had committed the unpardonable sin, you wouldn't even care, and you certainly wouldn't be talking to me, and the last place you'd be found is in church. You'd be so fried and so far gone that you would literally be giving the devil credit for what the Holy Spirit has done. That's how bad it would be. So we're not there. You're here in church, you're not there. Because there isn't a person on this earth that you would care loving enough to come to church with. You wouldn't even be open to hearing a message. You wouldn't be listening to the word preached at any time, no matter how long, no matter how far you've been away. And I love the song that we sang this morning, the new song that we sang this morning about the prodigal and how the father was looking every day for the prodigal, praying and believing that his boy would come home, and when he saw him at a distance, he ran to him. I want you to know that consistent with Scripture is that as soon as you turn towards God, he is running to you. Picture Exodus chapter three and Moses speaking or, or Moses saw the burning bush and that was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus in the midst of that burning bush. You can study it out. And as soon as Moses turned aside to look at this bush, why it was burning but it wasn't burning up, God spoke to him, Moses. Moses, take off your sandals. For where you stand, it's, it's holy. As soon as he turned, as soon as you turn to God, rest assured, your God comes running for you. No matter how long you've been away, no matter how far you've been away, your God comes running for you. That's the picture of the Father that you need to have. A loving Father who's always saying, are they gonna come back to me today? 
Are they gonna, are they gonna return to me today? Are they gonna come to me? That's your Father in heaven. That's who he is. He's not the God waiting to punish you. He's the God waiting to receive you. Do you know that you can return to Jesus? He's merciful, he's compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. Why? Because he's eager to relent and not punish.